0: Bruce Waltke's interpretation of Exodus 6, 28, 1827 in the context of Israel's redemption is profound, emphasizing the narrative as a pivotal demonstration of God's power and intention to establish His kingdom on earth. In this passage, Waltke presents the story of the Israelites' deliverance from Egyptian bondage as a critical juncture in the divine narrative, where God, referred to as I Am, intervenes decisively to rescue Israel, His Son, From the clutches of the oppressive pharaoh this liberation is not just a physical emancipation but also signifies a transformative shift in allegiance from a mortal tyrannical ruler to the supreme divine authority of i am waltke accentuates the destruction of egypt and the subsequent freedom of the israelites as a deliberate act of god to pave the way for his kingdom a theme that resonates deeply in the celebratory songs of israel proclaiming god's eternal sovereignty The narrative affirms the transition of Israel from being slaves under a human monarch to serving the divine ruler, a shift that signifies the establishment of a covenant relationship between God and His people, marked by divine protection and guidance. Also, Waltke asserts the recognition of God's supremacy by external figures, notably by Jethro, the priest of Midian, who acknowledges God's greatness through sacrificial offerings and verbal proclamation. This external validation serves as a testament to the universal acknowledgement of God's superiority over all other deities. Through his analysis, Waltke portrays the Exodus story as a theological cornerstone, illustrating God's role as both deliverer and warrior. It's not merely a historical account, but a deep reflection on the nature of God's power and His determinative will to forge His kingdom through Israel, setting the stage for a deeper understanding of divine providence and the establishment of God's rule over His people and the nations. Moreover, in his analysis of Exodus 6:28-18:27, Waltke, drawing from Paul Wright's dissertation, presents a structured narrative divided into two main sections, Israel's redemption from Egypt and the preservation of the redeemed in the wilderness up to Sinai. The first part meticulously details the plagues, particularly highlighting the confrontation between the might of I Am and Pharaoh's obstinate heart. This section is not merely a chronicle of plagues, but a theological exposition of divine deliverance, symbolized seriously by the Passover. It demonstrates the escalating severity of God's judgments, culminating in the tenth plague, the death of the firstborns, which finally breaks Pharaoh's resistance. This narrative of liberation pivots around the Passover, marking not just a historic exodus, but also signifying a covenant relationship between I Am and Israel. The journey from Ramesses to Succoth the observance of Passover restrictions, and the consecration of the firstborn are narrated with a focus on the fulfillment of divine promise and preparation for a life under God's guidance. Transitioning to the wilderness journey, the second section indicates God's role as a guide and protector. The miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, the provision of manna and quail, and the strategic defeat of the Amalekites underpin the narrative. However, this section also portrays the Israelites in a state of testing and learning. Incidents at Mara, Elam, and Rephidim are not just waypoints, but stages of spiritual and communal development, where the fidelity and obedience of the Israelites are refined. The narrative culminates with Jethro's counsel to Moses to appoint judges, marking a transition from a narrative of redemption and providence to one of governance and law. This structure meticulously traces Israel's physical journey from Egypt to Sinai and mirrors their spiritual journey from a state of bondage to a community under divine covenant, poised to receive the law at Sinai. Furthermore, Waltke presents a thorough interpretation of the Exodus narrative, focusing on the prelude to the plagues (Exodus 6:28-7:13), where the dynamic between God, I Am, Moses, Aaron, Pharaoh, and the Egyptian magicians unfolds. In this section, Moses, burdened by his inadequacy in speech, is reassured by God's powerful responses. Firstly, Moses is to be like God to Pharaoh, with Aaron as his prophet, a symbolic setup that blurs the line between the divine and its earthly representation, establishing a direct, formidable presence before Pharaoh. Secondly, God's intent to harden Pharaoh's heart, even in the face of miraculous signs, maintains the divine sovereignty and the futility of resistance against the divine will. This hardening serves a dual purpose, showcasing God's unparalleled power and ensuring that the liberation of Israel is unmistakably an act of divine intervention. The third response, involving mighty acts of judgment, signifies more than mere punitive measures. They are demonstrations of God's omnipotence and a method to instill the recognition of God's supremacy in Pharaoh. Waltke then delves into the confrontation between Moses and the Egyptian magicians. The transformation of Moses' staff into a serpent, followed by its consumption of the magician's serpents, is not just a show of power, but a prelude to the impending divine victory over earthly powers. This encounter is rich with symbolism, portraying a cosmic battle where God's representatives on earth, Moses and Aaron, face off against the earthly and spiritual forces of Egypt. Through this narrative, Waltke illustrates the Exodus as a story of divine assurance, power, and the ultimate triumph of God's will, setting the stage for the liberation of Israel and the manifestation of God's sovereignty over all earthly and spiritual realms. In addition, in Waltke's interpretation of the Exodus narrative, specifically the first nine plagues, Exodus 7.14, 10.29, a weighty theological message unfolds, showcasing the sovereign might of God, I Am, over Pharaoh's obstinate heart. This confrontation between divine authority and human arrogance is meant to make a definitive statement. I am reigns supreme, an assertion as significant as the act of creation itself. Waltke notes a meticulous structure in the plague narratives, arranged in three sets of three, each escalating in severity, with the final plague standing distinctly apart. This triadic pattern is not merely a literary device, but serves a deeper purpose. Each cycle begins with a merciful opportunity for Pharaoh to avert disaster, followed by a warning of a more severe judgment, culminating in a decisive plague without prior notice. This progression is deliberate, reiterating the escalating revelation of God's power and sovereignty. From challenging Pharaoh's authority, first set, repeating dominion over the land of Egypt, second set, to proclaiming unmatched supremacy over the entire earth, third set, the plagues are a stage demonstration of I Am's unrivaled power. Central to this narrative is the recurring motif of Pharaoh's heart hardening, a condition mentioned with striking frequency. This hardening signifies more than mere stubbornness. It represents a deep-seated rebellion against the evident truth of God's supremacy. Even Pharaoh's advisors, witnessing the devastation of Egypt, perceive the futility of resistance. Waltke's exposition offers a nuanced understanding of divine judgment. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart and the subsequent plagues are not arbitrary acts of wrath, but are deeply rooted in divine justice, responding to tyranny and oppression. The plagues, thus, function as divine signs, revealing God's character and intentions. To some, they offer an opportunity for repentance and softening of the heart, yet to others, they are a judgment, solidifying existing hardness. In some, the plague narratives, as expounded by Waltke, are a profound theological discourse on God's sovereign power, justice, and the inevitability of divine purpose. Through these events, I Am's supremacy is unequivocally declared, and His will is manifest, not just over Egypt but over the entire cosmos. Further, Waltke offers a nuanced theological interpretation of Exodus 11, 1-12-30, focusing on the tenth plague and the institution of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. He observes a structural interruption in the narrative, pivoting from the plague sequence to explore themes of divine judgment and deliverance. In the segment on Despoiling the Egyptians Waltke identifies a dual motif of God's grace and judgment. This duality is emblematic of God's actions in Egypt, showcasing His wonders through both the devastating plagues and the liberation of His people from oppression. The forewarning to Pharaoh serves a critical prophetic function. Moses' warning of the impending disaster underlines a divine demarcation between the Egyptians and the Israelites. This distinction is not merely national, but moral and spiritual, setting the stage for the tenth plague. Waltke dives into the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread 12, 128, underscoring their theological profundity. He portrays the tenth plague as a direct divine intervention, symbolizing a definitive judgment against sin and a transformative moment for Israel. The Passover is framed as an act of faith, with deliverance hinging on obedience to divine instructions. The meticulous details governing the celebration emphasize its lasting significance, memorializing Israel's deliverance and ongoing sanctification. The symbolism of the Passover lamb is rich with meaning, representing substitutionary atonement and propitiation. This symbolism extends to the communal meal which not only signifies salvation from divine wrath, but also marks the beginning of a pilgrimage journey, aligning the Israelites' identity with their destiny as God's chosen people. Besides, the execution of the Tenth Plague confirms the fulfillment of God's warning. The lack of repentance among the Egyptians and the unyielding execution of divine judgment accentuate the narrative's overarching themes of divine justice and the irrevocable nature of God's sovereign will. Additionally, Waltke's exposition of Exodus 12:31-13:16 dissects the multifaceted nature of the Exodus, casting it as a pivotal juncture in Israel's spiritual and communal life. He digs into the narrative, affirming its deep themes of redemption, covenant formation, and holy consecration. The journey from Ramesses to Succoth (12:31-42) is portrayed as the genesis of Israel's transition from slavery to freedom, a movement asserted by the urgent departure following the 10th plague. Waltke perceives the Passover as not merely a historic event, but a celebration of liberation from sin and bondage. This liberation is both physical, as the Israelites depart with their possessions and the wealth bestowed by the Egyptians under divine will and spiritual, marking the commencement of their pilgrimage and the establishment of their covenant with God. Waltke then scrutinizes the Passover restrictions noting the inclusion of non-Israelites in the Exodus he interprets the detailed stipulations as highlighting the exclusivity of the covenant community with the Passover meal reserved for circumcised members, symbolizing their full integration into the covenantal life. This section neatly distinguishes between the Passover, epitomizing redemption from Egypt, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, signifying a complete and rapid departure from the Egyptian way of life towards a pilgrimage under God's guidance. Yet Waltke indicates their inseparability. The consecration of the firstborn, 13, 1, 16, is viewed as a perpetual reminder of divine deliverance. Waltke elucidates that this rite, involving both animal and human firstborns, serves as an acknowledgment of God's grace during the Passover. He ties this to later biblical legislation where the Levites replace the firstborn, symbolizing a life dedicated to divine service, with any surplus of firstborn males redeemed at a specific price. In essence, Waltke interprets these passages as a complex tapestry, weaving together historical events, spiritual symbolism, and covenantal theology, collectively portraying the Exodus as a foundational narrative of redemption, divine relationship, and consecrated living. Also, Waltke examines the transformative journey of the Israelites from Egypt to Sinai, a pivotal phase in their transition from a state of bondage to becoming a covenant community under the divine guidance of God, referred to as I Am. This journey, intricately narrated from Exodus 13.17 to 18.27, is not just a physical traverse through deserts and shores, but a serious spiritual pilgrimage, marking the Israelites' evolution into a people bound by divine law and covenant. The narrative begins with the Passover, a powerful symbol of deliverance from both slavery and the clutches of death, and the festival of unleavened bread, which commemorates the Israelites' break from oppressive bondage. This liberation is not merely political, but deeply spiritual, signifying their newfound freedom to serve and covenant with I AM. The journey through the wilderness, depicted as a pilgrimage to the sworn land, is maintained by a dual theme, a test of faith and a journey towards a promised inheritance. It's a period of preparation, where perseverance and faith are both forged and tested as the Israelites navigate through a landscape marked by God's providential guidance and protection. Waltke notes that the chosen route through the wilderness is deliberate, steering the Israelites away from premature confrontations with formidable enemies like the Philistines. This strategic detour symbolizes God's intent to spiritually fortify His people before they face larger battles, pointing out His role as their protector and guide. The journey, punctuated by carrying Joseph's bones, serves as a tangible reminder of the covenant with their forefathers and the enduring promise of deliverance. The narrative structure of their journey, detailed with geographical markers from Succoth to Etham and eventually to Sinai, is not just a physical itinerary, but a spiritual odyssey. The events chosen for inclusion in the narrative, complaints and divine responses, the giving of the law at Sinai, the Balaam episodes, and military encounters, collectively reiterate the multifaceted relationship between the Israelites and God. Through these interactions, God emerges as a wonderful guide, a mighty protector, a miraculous provider, and a holy ruler, continually shaping and defining the identity of his covenant people. The guiding presence of God, manifested as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, is not merely a navigational aid, but a constant, tangible reminder of his omnipresence and guidance. It repeats the perpetual nature of the Israelites' journey, one that is continuously under divine surveillance and direction. This journey to the sworn land is depicted not as a mere relocation, but as a significant epic in the spiritual evolution of the Israelites, where each stage, each challenge, and each act of divine intervention intricately weaves into the fabric of their collective identity and covenant relationship with God. Moreover, in Waltke's exposition of Exodus 14, one 20 the narrative of Israel's crossing of the Red Sea serves as a compelling portrayal of God's character as a protective warrior and a strategic protector of His people. This pivotal episode is bifurcated into an introductory segment, setting the stage for the ensuing divine intervention (Exodus 14:1-14), and a subsequent celebration that glorifies God, the warrior of Israel (verses 15-18). Waltke paints the backdrop of the scene by detailing God's intricate strategy to ensnare the Egyptian army ultimately nullifying any future threat to Israel. This divine strategy involves misleading Pharaoh into believing that the Israelites, apparently disoriented and vulnerable in the desert, are an easy target. This illusion successfully baits Pharaoh, who launches an aggressive pursuit with his formidable military resources. The narrative reveals a paradox. Israel's journey, though seemingly chaotic and perilous to external observers, is in reality a divinely orchestrated march towards their promised inheritance. As the egyptian forces loom large fear engulfs the israelite camp and they question moses's leadership fearing imminent destruction in this moment of crisis moses delivers a message of divine assurance i am will fight for you you need only to be still vv 13 14. this statement marks a significant turning point in the narrative it underlines that the battle is not israel's but god's wherein he emerges not as a remote deity but as an active, present champion fighting on behalf of his people. Through this vivid account, Waltke underscores the transformational journey of the Israelites from a state of despair to one of faith and trust. The crossing of the Red Sea is depicted not merely as a miraculous escape, but as a thorough spiritual lesson, where the Israelites witness firsthand the might of God's protective power and his unwavering commitment to their deliverance and ultimate destiny. Furthermore. Waltke explores the narrative of the Exodus, focusing on the glorification of I Am as a warrior during the Red Sea crossing, vividly portrayed in Exodus chapters 14 and 15. This passage is intricately divided into two distinct parts, the epic prose narrative and the victory song, each illustrating the might and sovereignty of I Am. The epic prose narrative, Exodus 14, 14 31, is a dramatic unfolding of events where the divine power of I Am, is showcased. This segment intends to affirm the supremacy of I Am, compelling the Egyptians to acknowledge His might. The narrative is replete with miraculous occurrences—the protective shift of the Angel of I Am, the nighttime guidance provided by the glory cloud, and the parting of the sea, an act that symbolizes I Am's control over nature. Particularly poignant is the drowning of the Egyptian army an event that not only signifies the Israelites' physical liberation, but also cements their spiritual fortitude, instilling in them unwavering trust in God and Moses as they journey towards their promised inheritance. In contrast, the victory song, Exodus 15, 20 serves as a poetic and triumphant response to the divine deliverance. Moses, leading the Israelites, vocalizes a song that is both a celebration of victory and a testament to the enduring might of I Am. Scholars like Robert Alter dissect the song's structure, revealing a progression that emphasizes God's omnipotence, from His immediate triumph over the Egyptians to His supreme reign over all deities and His eternal dominion. The song, rich in imagery, not only commemorates the recent divine intervention, but also anticipates future guidance and protection, ultimately leading the people to their destined inheritance. This narrative and poetic combination powerfully conveys the themes of deliverance, divine power, and the promise of a future under the steadfast protection of I Am. In addition, Waltke's examination of the Israelites' journey through the desert of Shur and the desert of Sin reveals a weighty narrative of testing and providence, accentuating the interplay between human faithlessness and divine fidelity. In this narrative, key incidents at Mara, Elam, and during the provision of manna and quail serve as focal points for understanding the covenant relationship between God and Israel. At Mara and Elam, the Israelites encounter bitter waters symbolizing their own bitterness and distrust. Their grumbling against Moses is not merely a complaint about physical thirst but signifies a deeper spiritual thirst and a crisis of faith. When Moses turns to God, the waters are sweetened, symbolizing God's redemptive power and the sweetness of trusting in Him. This miracle is structurally presented in a chiastic format, affirming a journey from scarcity to abundance bitterness to sweetness paralleled by a journey from distrust to obedience the incident asserts Moses's role as God's appointed leader and highlights a pivotal moment in the Israelites faith journey though they grumble against Moses their real crisis lies in their faith in God the episode in the desert of sin with mana and quail further complicates the narrative of faith and provision despite witnessing God's miracles the Israelites continue to grumble exposing their persistent doubt and disobedience. God's response, providing manna and specific instructions for its collection, serves a dual purpose. It reaffirms the divine appointment of Moses and Aaron and tests the Israelites' obedience and trust in God's provision. This episode illustrates a recurring motif. Despite human inconsistency and faithlessness, God's fidelity remains steadfast. He provides daily bread, guiding and nurturing the Israelites towards the fulfillment of His promises even as they grapple with faith and obedience. Waltke's analysis thus presents a rich tapestry of themes— faith, obedience, divine provision, and human response— inviting reflection on the nature of the covenant relationship between God and His people. Further, in Waltke's interpretation of Exodus 17, 1-7, he probes into the narrative that marks Israel's journey from sin to Rephidim, indicating the episode as the third instance of Israel's complaints and God's subsequent provision. The passage is meticulously structured as a chiasm, a literary form that arranges ideas in a mirrored pattern, enhancing the narrative's depth and maintaining its central themes. The crux of the narrative unfolds at Rephidim, a place where Israel, despite following God's directive, encounters a dire lack of water. This scarcity triggers a series of reactions, starting with the people's quarrel with Moses and escalating into a profound test of God's presence and fidelity. The Israelites' poignant question, is I am among us or not, resonates as a deep challenge, casting doubt on God's commitment to sustain and guide them through the harsh desert. In response to this challenge, God instructs Moses to echo the miraculous signs previously witnessed by the elders, thereby reinforcing the covenant and instilling faith. Moses, wielding the transformative rod, a symbol of divine authority and power, is commanded to strike a rock at Horeb. Miraculously, Water flows from the rock, signifying God's unwavering provision and mercy, even in the face of the people's skepticism and rebellion. The narrative reaches a critical juncture, as Rephidim is renamed to Massah and Meribah, translating to testing and quarreling, a nomenclature that encapsulates the episode's essence. This renaming serves not only as a reminder of the people's distrust and contention, but also, and more importantly, as a testament to God's enduring faithfulness. Despite Israel's recurrent mistrust and complaints, God remains steadfast, reaffirming his covenantal commitment through acts of unwavering provision and guidance. Waltke's analysis thus brings to light the complex interplay of human doubt and divine fidelity, pointing out the enduring nature of God's commitment in the face of human frailty and skepticism. Besides, Waltke interprets the encounter between Israel and Amalek in Exodus 17, 8-16, as a significant theological and historical narrative, intricately structured, and deeply symbolic. The passage is organized chiastically, reiterating its symmetry and the central importance of Moses' actions during the battle. At the heart of this structure is Moses, with the staff of God, standing atop a hill, his actions pivotal to the battle's outcome. This image is not just a depiction of a physical battle, but a serious illustration of Israel's reliance on divine intervention. Voltke repeats the transition represented by this battle. It marks a shift from God directly fighting for Israel to empowering Israel to engage in warfare under divine guidance. This change is symbolized by Moses' staff, representing God's presence and power. The victory over Amalek is portrayed as contingent not on military might, but on the Israelites' alignment with and dependence on God. The narrative's emphasis on recording this event underlines its instructional and memorial purpose. It serves as a perpetual testament to God's promise to fight against the Amalekites across generations. Additionally, the construction of the altar, named I Am is My Banner, symbolizes a broader message. Israel's future triumphs will not rely on Moses or any tangible symbol, but on their collective faith and adherence to God, manifested through sacrifice and prayer. Through this intricate narrative, Waltke presents not just a historical account, but a theological exposition on leadership divine providence, and the essence of reliance on God. It's a message about the transition of power, the importance of divine presence, and the enduring necessity for a nation to seek and uphold divine guidance for victory and sustenance. Also, Waltke's examination of Exodus 18, 1, 12, and 18, 13, 16 investigates two pivotal episodes involving Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, underscoring their thematic and theological significance. The first episode, set against the backdrop of the desert near Sinai, sees Jethro's reunion with Moses, marking a poignant moment of family reunion and divine worship. This event is intricately woven into the narrative fabric of the Israelites' journey, serving as both a culmination of Moses's personal journey and a collective acknowledgment of God's deliverance and providence. Jethro's arrival with Moses' wife, Zipporah, and their sons, Gershom and Eliezer, whose names resonate with themes of alienation and divine assistance, encapsulates the narrative arc from Moses' initial flight to Midian to the climactic confrontations with Pharaoh. Waltke emphasizes that Jethro's reactions, expressions of joy, blessings, confessions, and sacrificial offerings, echo the faith language found in Psalm 135, effectively summarizing the grand narrative of God's redemption of Israel from Egypt and their sustenance in the wilderness. In the second episode, the focus shifts from narrative storytelling to the establishment of societal structures. Jethro's counsel to Moses to appoint judges signifies a pivotal transition, bridging the gap between divine deliverance and societal governance under God's law. This advisory, aimed at decentralizing the judicial responsibilities, anticipates the revelation of God's comprehensive moral law at Sinai. It marks the beginning of a new phase in the Israelites' journey, where the foundational experiences of deliverance and wilderness preservation transition into the establishment of a community, structured by divine commandments and judgments. Waltke views this transition as a critical juncture, linking the acts of God in liberating and guiding the Israelites to the formal institutionalization of a community living under the guidance and authority of God's laws. Moreover, Waltke's exposition on I am as deliverer elucidates the multifaceted nature of God's role in the biblical narrative, accentuating His sovereignty as a deliverer, guide, provider, and warrior. This portrayal is deeply intertwined with the concept of God's omnicompetence affirming His supreme power and ability to rescue and sustain His people. The narrative focuses on the Israelites, portrayed as enslaved and in dire need of deliverance to undertake their pilgrimage. This journey to the Promised Land is fraught with obstacles, requiring not just liberation but also guidance, sustenance, and protection against manifold adversities. Deliverance, in the biblical context, is presented in a dual aspect, political and spiritual. Politically, it signifies emancipation from physical bondage, such as slavery and oppression. Spiritually, it transcends the physical realm, denoting liberation from sin and death, culminating in a renewed, sanctified relationship with God. This dualistic nature of deliverance is pivotal in understanding the depth and breadth of God's intervention and care for His people. In this framework, Waltke explores the patriarchal narratives, particularly focusing on Abraham and Jacob, to delineate the theme of deliverance. Although not overt in the patriarchal stories, the motif of divine deliverance is subtly yet significantly present. Abraham's journey from Ur is interpreted not as an escape from physical bondage but as a spiritual transition from a pagan culture to a life oriented towards God. This spiritual journey, however, is juxtaposed with episodes of political and material deliverance, as seen in Abraham's and Jacob's encounters in Egypt and with Laban, respectively. These episodes assert God's intervention in ensuring their physical safety and blessing them materially. Thus. Waltke portrays deliverance as a comprehensive, divine act encompassing political liberation, spiritual salvation, and material provision, all affirming the overarching narrative of God's omnipotent care and guidance. Furthermore, Waltke presents the narrative as a complex tapestry of Israel's liberation, intertwining political deliverance with spiritual salvation. He highlights that the Israelites were not merely trapped in political bondage in Egypt, but were also entangled in pagan worship, and syncretism. This dual enslavement necessitated a deliverance that was both political and spiritual. Waltke critiques the one dimensional interpretations of the Exodus. He argues that liberation theologians, who focus solely on the socio political aspect, miss the narrative's deeper purpose the establishment of worship centered on I am. Conversely, conservative theologians who overlook the socio political implications miss the narrative's full richness. For Waltke, True deliverance, as depicted in Exodus, involves both aspects—freedom from physical bondage and spiritual transformation. The ritual of the Passover is central to Waltke's interpretation. The slaying of the Passover lamb signifies a substitutionary act, saving Israel from God's judgment on Egypt. Consuming the lamb represents not just physical sustenance but also a spiritual feeding, sustaining them in their journey. The associated rituals like eating bitter herbs and unleavened bread and donning pilgrim attire symbolize a complete break from Egyptian oppression and affliction. These elements indicate the multifaceted nature of deliverance, its substitutionary, sustaining, and sanctifying. Waltke sees the Exodus story as a divine narrative that combines liberation with a call to holiness. The Israelites were rescued not just to be free from physical bondage, but to enter into a life of dedicated worship and holy living, as symbolized in the rituals of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This liberation was comprehensive, impacting every aspect of their being and calling them to a thorough transformation. In addition, Waltke interprets the vision of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones as an allegory for the desolate spiritual state of the Israelites during their exile in Babylon. This vision is not just a spectacle of bones coming together, but a weighty representation of the Israelites' revival from a state of despair and cynicism. Ezekiel's role is pivotal. He doesn't merely observe but actively participates in the prophetic act, symbolizing the power of God's Word to bring life to what was dead. The bones knitting together and being covered with flesh under Ezekiel's prophecy represent the rekindling of hope and spiritual life among the exiles. Waltke then shifts focus to Cyrus the Great, the Persian emperor. Cyrus, though a foreign ruler, is portrayed as an instrument in God's plan, facilitating the physical return of the Israelites to their homeland, However, Waltke stresses that this return under Cyrus's decree is not the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. While it marks a significant phase in Israel's history, involving reconstruction and religious reforms led by figures like Ezra and Nehemiah, it lacks the complete spiritual renewal prophesied in the Scriptures. This spiritual renewal, Waltke contends, is not realized through political change or temple rebuilding but through a transformative relationship with God. The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah point towards a future, a hope beyond the immediate political liberation. They foretell the coming of a suffering servant and a new covenant, centered not on the laws written on stone, but on a profound internal transformation by the Spirit. Waltke concludes that this ultimate renewal, the true fulfillment of the prophetic visions, is found in Jesus Christ, transcending the immediate historical context of the Israelites' return from exile and pointing towards a deeper spiritual deliverance further waltke interprets the biblical narrative of exodus as a metaphor for the church's spiritual journey moving from the bondage of sin and satan's dominion to a state of spiritual liberation this concept is exemplified through the various exoduses in the old testament abraham's departure from babylon jacob's escape from aram and israel's liberation from egypt and babylon all symbolizing the church's emancipation from a sinful world Central to Waltke's interpretation is the role of Old Testament festivals, particularly the festival of unleavened bread, in foreshadowing Jesus Christ's fulfillment of these theological symbols. These festivals serve not merely as historical commemorations, but as deep illustrations of spiritual truths, pointing to Christ's ultimate sacrifice. Christ's mission, according to Waltke, was fundamentally about spiritual redemption, contrasting the temporal political liberations of the Old Testament. Jesus, as the Paschal Lamb, liberates humanity from the grasp of sin and the satanic world system, inviting them to worship in the heavenly Mount Zion. This spiritual deliverance is vividly depicted in the Last Supper, where Jesus redefines the Passover meal, shifting its focus from Israel's physical exodus to a new spiritual liberation through His sacrificial death. Besides, Waltke maintains the role of the Holy Spirit in this new exodus, baptizing believers into Christ thus ensuring their spiritual journey towards redemption and eternal life. This journey is sustained by Jesus, the bread of life, paralleling the manna that sustained Israel in the wilderness. The culmination of this spiritual journey is envisioned as a grand messianic banquet, marking the final exodus of the church from the world at Christ's second coming. This eschatological vision portrays the ultimate fulfillment of both spiritual and political deliverance, where believers, united with Christ, Partake in the eternal glory of the kingdom of God. Additionally, Waltke presents a nuanced understanding of God's character evolution in the Old Testament, particularly pointing out the transition from a creator to a warrior during Israel's exodus from Egypt. Initially, in the Genesis narrative, God is depicted as an artist and benevolent monarch, focusing on creating a harmonious cosmos, a stark contrast to the ancient Near Eastern depiction of creation involving conflicts between divine entities. This portrayal reiterates a cosmos brought into existence through God's will and command, devoid of any conflict between the divine and the material. As the narrative unfolds, particularly in the accounts of the Flood and the Tower of Babel, God's sovereignty is reaffirmed. He judges humanity while simultaneously preserving a remnant, showcasing His dominion over the cosmos and human history. The patriarchal stories further narrow God's role likening him to a tribal deity deeply involved in the intricate details of a particular family's life, ranging from security to fertility. However, a significant transformation in God's role is noted in the book of Exodus. With the revelation of God's name as I am, he assumes new responsibilities akin to a national deity, deliverer, guide, provider, protector, and notably, a warrior. This warrior aspect is pivotal in the Old Testament and is intricately woven into Israel's religious and military fabric, as repeated by Patrick Miller. The portrayal of Yahweh fighting for or against His people is a recurrent and central theme, deeply embedded in the historical, cultic, literary, and theological dimensions of Israelite life. Waltke stresses the importance of interpreting the Old Testament in a way that honors the text's inherent rhetoric and theology, without succumbing to modern biases. This involves recognizing the dynamic nature of God's roles, particularly the martial aspect, and understanding these roles within the broader context of salvation history, thereby allowing the text to speak authentically and powerfully to both its original and contemporary audiences. Also, Waltke's analysis of the patriarchal narratives underlines the patriarch's discerning approach to conflict and warfare in the context of God's promissory covenants. He paints a portrait of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as figures who consciously refrained from using military force or engaging in wars to claim the promises of nationhood, seed, and land guaranteed by God. This restraint is vividly demonstrated in instances where personal grievances, such as the abduction of their wives or disputes over resources, arose. Instead of resorting to violence, they displayed a serious faith in God's provision and sovereignty. Abraham's decision to let Lot choose his portion of land first and Isaac's initiative to dig new wells to avert conflict over territory underscore their trust in God's timing and provision. However, Waltke clarifies that this non-violent approach towards the covenant promises does not render the patriarchs complete pacifists. He emphasizes episodes where they engaged in combat for the sake of justice and protection, notably Abraham's armed intervention to rescue Lot, illustrating their readiness to defend justice and family when necessary. This demonstrates a nuanced understanding of violence. They avoided it in matters related to God's promises, perceiving those as under divine jurisdiction, but were willing to engage in combat when justice and protection were at stake. Moreover, the text reveals the patriarch's inclination towards diplomacy and peaceful coexistence, as evident in Isaac's treaty with Abimelech and Jacob's treaty with Laban. Such diplomatic ventures, combined with their restrained approach to covenant-related conflicts, suggest that their contemporaries might have respected or even feared their potential for warfare. Overall, Waltke portrays the patriarchs as men of deep faith and principle, discerning between instances that required defense of justice and those that necessitated trust in divine fulfillment, avoiding the sword in the latter while being prepared for it in the former. Furthermore, Waltke's analysis of Exodus portrays a dramatic shift in God's character from a distant deity to an active warrior-king, a change encapsulated in the enigmatic revelation of the name I Am. This transition is vividly depicted in the epic confrontation with Pharaoh, where God's superiority is unequivocally established. Waltke also delves into the nuanced theme of schadenfreude, the feeling of satisfaction at another's misfortune, as reflected in Israel's songs of victory and certain Psalms. This emotion, typically viewed with disdain, is re-evaluated by scholars cited by Waltke, suggesting its appropriateness when it aligns with the delivery of justice, a sentiment echoed in Israel's celebratory songs. In the narrative, God's interventions, particularly during the plagues and the Red Sea crossing, accentuate the divine nature of Israel's victories. These episodes affirm that true power lies not in human might, but in divine will and action. The parting of the Red Sea especially symbolizes this divine intervention where natural elements are mobilized to manifest God's supremacy. The encounter with the Amalekites at Rephidim marks a significant evolution. Here, God integrates human action into the divine battle plan. Moses, supported by Aaron and Hur, becomes an active participant, holding his staff aloft as a conduit of divine power. This shift from divine dominance to a cooperative venture between God and Israel symbolizes a maturation in the covenant relationship. While human effort represented by the sword becomes instrumental, the narrative reaffirms that ultimate victory and authority rest with God. This transformation illustrates Israel's growth from a passive recipient of divine favor to an active, faith-driven participant in God's plan, embodying the transition from dependence to a mature partnership rooted in trust and obedience. In addition, Waltke's interpretation of Deuteronomy frames Israel's conquest of Canaan not as an act of self-righteousness but as divine retribution for the Canaanites' egregious sins. This is evident from the land's metaphorical rejection of its people due to their abominable acts. Waltke refutes any comparison of this conquest to ethnic cleansing or genocide, asserting the story of Rahab, a Canaanite who finds salvation through faith, contrasting starkly with Achan, an Israelite punished for his disobedience. This distinction highlights the conquest's basis in divine justice rather than ethnic or racial prejudice. Waltke views the conquest as a faith-driven mandate where success relies on adherence to divine will rather than military prowess. The narrative extends to future monarchs, who are cautioned against the pitfalls of power and wealth accumulation, advocating for a reign defined by humility and moral integrity under divine guidance. The concept of holy war, in Waltke's analysis, serves a dual purpose executing divine judgment, and nurturing a culture of faith and obedience among God's people. The contrasting destinies of Rahab and Achan illustrate the paramount importance of faithfulness and the dire consequences of rebellion. This theme resonates through the biblical narrative, notably in King David's experiences, indicating the primacy of spiritual allegiance over worldly might. Waltke concludes by contemplating the Messiah's arrival, juxtaposing Israel's expectations of a worldly sovereign with the reality of a Messiah embodying sacrifice and suffering. This portrayal maintains the paradox of strength in weakness and the triumph of spiritual integrity over worldly power, encapsulating the essence of divine kingship and the ultimate victory of faith and righteousness. Further, in his theological examination of the books of Joshua and Judges, Waltke dives into the portrayal of God, I Am, as a divine warrior, with a particular focus on the themes of land and warfare. In Joshua, the narrative centers on the themes of conquest and compromise, intricately weaving together the portrayal of God as a warrior and the divine endowment of land. These themes are so interwoven that understanding one requires considering the other, establishing a theological framework that Waltke promises to explore in depth in a subsequent chapter. The crux of Joshua revolves around the land making the theological reflections on God's dual role as a warrior and a landgiver pivotal for a holistic understanding of the book. Judges continues this divine narrative but points out God's empowerment of charismatic military leaders through His Spirit. This empowerment imbues them with courage and physical strength, though it does not always confer spiritual wisdom. The narrative illustrates this through the experiences of figures like Gideon, who learns to triumph with a significantly reduced force, contrasting with Joshua's realization of the necessity of collective action and reliance on the entire army. God's influence transcends direct empowerment. He also utilizes natural forces and psychological strategies to weaken the enemy's resolve, a strategy exemplified in Gideon's encounter with the fearful Midianites. Despite the evident divine support, the narrative reiterates Israel's duty to engage in warfare actively. This period, characterized by the absence of a formal army, necessitates voluntary participation in war. Israel is called to demonstrate faithfulness and trust in God, a theme celebrated and critiqued in the Song of Deborah, which praises tribes that engage in battle and reproaches those that do not. The heroes of this era are portrayed as models of combining faith with strategic military insight, employing a range of tactics from ambushes and night marches to sophisticated military strategies. Besides, Waltke's analysis focuses on the period of the united monarchy in Israel, 1050 BC, examining the intricate dynamics between monarchy, prophecy, and the divine mandate, predominantly through narratives in 1 Samuel and the Psalms. He introduces the concept with the first biblical mention of I Am of hosts, Yahweh Sabbat, in 1 Samuel 1.11, signifying God's supreme command over all armies, thereby marking Israel's transition into a mature monarchy. The essence of monarchy is portrayed as twofold. It has the potential to bless nations if led by righteous hands, but can also lead to oppression if misused, as evidenced in 1 Samuel 8:12. The monarch's role is dualistic. A charismatic leader can ensure military effectiveness and political stability, yet there's an inherent risk of power abuse and rejection of God's ultimate authority. Two contrasting incidents repeat the king's persuasive power. The Levite in Judges seeks justice through moral outrage, while King Saul in 1 Samuel resorts to fear and intimidation, revealing the forceful aspect of kingship. This dichotomy illustrates the complex nature of monarchical leadership and its potential to manipulate public sentiment. Waltke underlines the corrupting nature of power, noting the temptation for kings to rival God's authority. This peril necessitates the role of prophets, who endowed with divine authority, can anoint, reprimand, or even dethrone kings thus maintaining the balance of divine and earthly governance. Additionally, he examines the transition of power post-David, underscoring the prophet Nathan's role in legitimizing Solomon's kingship over Adonijah, despite the latter's significant support. This instance exemplifies the prophet's critical role in sustaining the divine order. Concluding, Waltke reflects on the prophet's role in ensuring that monarchs adhere to divine commandments and the Mosaic Covenant. He emphasizes the... Incarnation model of holy war, where God's battles are fought through faithful kings, as portrayed in various psalms, setting the stage for further exploration of the Psalter's theological implications. Also, Waltke digs into the intricate dynamics between early prophets and kings in Israel's history during 925 760 BC, accentuating the transition from a monarchy supported by divine will to a period where prophets held significant sway over the king's legitimacy and actions. This era, as Waltke interprets, signals the beginning of a thorough shift in the understanding of divine guidance and leadership. The narrative commences with Samuel's rejection of Saul, indicating divine discontent with the monarchy's direction. Ahijah's prophecy, leading to the split of Solomon's kingdom, affirms the prophet's central role in shaping Israel's destiny. The text, often titled Book of Kings, might be more aptly named Book of the Prophets, reflecting the prophet's instrumental role in anointing, guiding, and when necessary, deposing kings according to God's commands. Waltke points to several instances, such as Rehoboam's subjugation to Shishak and the deceptive spirit leading Ahab into defeat, to illustrate the conditional nature of divine favor. These narratives assert that God's support is not unwavering, but depends on the king's alignment with divine will, often articulated through the prophets. A significant thematic shift is observed in the notion of holy war. Initially, the prophetic word complements the king's military might, but gradually it becomes apparent that real security and power lie in adherence to the prophetic word, not in military strength. This transition is vividly depicted in the accounts of Elijah and Elisha, where the chariots and horsemen of Israel symbolize divine protection, marking a departure from traditional reliance on military prowess. In summary, Waltke's analysis reveals a period marked by a complex interplay between divine will, prophetic authority, and royal power, culminating in a weighty redefinition of leadership and divine favor, profoundly influencing Israel's historical and religious trajectory. Moreover, Waltke's analysis of the Naaman incident in 2 Kings 5 offers a deep insight into the complex dynamics between religious faithfulness and national identity. The story unfolds against a backdrop of a stark dichotomy. On one side, the spiritual kingdom upheld by prophets, their disciples, and a faithful remnant steadfastly worshiping I Am, and on the other, a politically apostate state, embodied by the king, his officials, and the populace, entrenched in the worship of Baal. Naaman, a general from Aram, and initially an adversary to Israel, becomes a pivotal figure in this narrative. His healing by I Am, facilitated by the prophet Elisha, is not just a miraculous recovery, a transformative spiritual awakening. Naaman's conversion to the worship of I Am signifies a radical departure from conventional religious norms. Typically, allegiance to I Am was inseparable from residing within Israel's borders, the sworn land. However, Naaman challenges this notion. After his conversion, he doesn't relocate to Israel but returns to Aram, continuing his service under Ben-Hadad II. Intriguingly, he maintains his devotion to I Am in a foreign land, symbolically anchoring his worship in Israelite soil within the temple of Ramanu. This scenario, especially with Elisha's blessing, highlights a significant theological shift. It suggests a critical message. God's favor is not confined by national boundaries or limited to those residing within the sworn land. Naaman's allegiance to I Am, manifested in a foreign land, And within a complex political and religious landscape, exemplifies true devotion. His situation reveals that God's ethical rule and divine patronage extend beyond Israel, embracing those who uphold His commandments and ethical principles, irrespective of their national affiliations. This narrative reshapes the understanding of divine allegiance, indicating a universal, ethical commitment to I AM over national loyalty, especially in a context where the nation itself has deviated from its spiritual obligations. Furthermore, during the late monarchy era, 765-586 BC, the concept of the day of I AM gains prominence in prophetic discourse, symbolizing the definitive revelation of I AM's nature and foretelling a sweeping judgment against his adversaries. This judgment extends beyond mere warfare; it encompasses a divine appearance known as a theophany. Amos a prophet from around 760 B.C. portrays this day as one of darkness rather than light, subverting Israel's misplaced hopes for victory. He cautions against longing for the Day of I Am, maintaining the deep-seated corruption among Israel's leadership, including corrupt officials, profane priests, and deceitful prophets. These figures are contrasted with the faithful remnant who are destined to witness one Am's triumph and glory through the downfall of his enemies. This period is tumultuous, marred by serious spiritual and political instability within Israel and Judah. This instability aligns with the rise of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, whose aggressive expansion ultimately leads to Israel's conquest. The nation's religious foundation crumbles due to political turmoil and widespread idolatry. Even in Judah, where the Davidic lineage persists, the prevalence of idol worship and social injustice signifies a departure from the nation's covenantal duties. By the close of the 7th century, the divine presence departs from the Davidic household. In a stark repudiation of the assurances of perpetual security propagated by false prophets, I am permits the desecration of his temple in 586 B.C. This act marks a thorough divine judgment, signaling the culmination of an era rife with spiritual degradation and external threats. Prophets like Amos articulate this tumultuous period, their messages reflecting in texts such as Micah 3, In addition, Waltke explores the transformation of divine warfare in the ancient Near East, focusing on the deity I Am, or God, within the context of Israelite history. Traditionally, a god's power was measured by their nation's military prowess. A defeated nation signified a defeated deity. Initially, I Am participates in this paradigm, with Israel's fortunes reflecting directly on him. However, this changes with the ascendancy of the Neo-Assyrian Empire and Israel's subsequent defeats, Waltke portrays YM's innovative strategy in the face of potential obsolescence among the pantheon of forgotten gods. Instead of engaging in traditional warfare, I am adopts a radical approach. He fights through the words of the prophets. These prophets, daring and devout, confront kings with messages that transcend physical battle. Their tools are not swords, but sermons, through which they deliver potent messages of divine judgment and compassion encapsulating the essence of ethical monotheism. One of the most striking aspects of this new form of divine warfare is the prophetic foresight. For instance, Isaiah accurately predicts Cyrus's unconventional strategy to conquer Babylon, showcasing I Am's sovereignty. This new battleground where prophetic words wield power eclipses conventional political and spiritual realms. It leads to the downfall of Israel and Judah as a consequence of their betrayal of I Am's covenant yet paradoxically confirms the enduring worship and supremacy of I Am, sustained by the potency and truth of the prophetic word. In this period, the notion of an army becomes obsolete for the Israelite remnant. They are urged to face God's judgment with fortitude, to remain steadfast through a purification that separates the faithful from the faithless. They are to await and trust in the promise of restoration, a future beyond the present tribulations. Through this narrative, Waltke illustrates a pivotal shift from understanding divine power in military terms to perceiving it through the omnipotent, omnipresent Word of God, redefining the relationship between the divine, the nation, and the individual in the ancient world. Further, Waltke examines the transformation of the kingdom of God's concept during Israel's exile and post-exilic times, pointing out a significant shift from a physically manifest kingdom to a spiritual dominion. The period is marked by the intriguing anointment of Cyrus, a non-Israelite, as a messiah, symbolizing a major transition in God's method of kingship. This period sees the external attributes of kingship, political and military power, being conferred upon a foreign, non-believing ruler. Cyrus, albeit unwittingly, becomes an instrument in God's plan, signifying a new phase where God leverages foreign empires for Israel's redemption while maintaining His sovereignty through the prophetic voice. Waltke reiterates the transformation in the concept of holy war as narrated by prophets like Isaiah. The focus shifts from physical combat to a spiritual struggle, where God's dominion is channeled through prophets and a suffering servant. This servant, armed with words as potent as a sword, represents a departure from traditional warfare to a battle waged in the spiritual realm. This new kingdom isn't confined by geographical borders or maintained through military might or legal codes but is defined by a spiritual covenant. The new covenant era fulfilled in Christ is central to this transformation. This covenant isn't just a continuation but a complete fulfillment of the prophecies, establishing a kingdom characterized by peace and eternity. This kingdom transcends the physical and temporal limitations of the old covenant, symbolizing the ultimate realization of God's kingdom. It's a kingdom sustained not by human power, but by divine authority, marking a pivotal shift in the understanding and manifestation of God's rule and the concept of holy war. Besides, Waltke's interpretation of the New Testament repeats a distinct separation between the spiritual and political realms, underlining the unique role of Jesus Christ. Unlike temporal leaders, Christ's authority is spiritual, aimed at transforming hearts, not enforcing political or military dominance. This approach marks a stark departure from the pursuit of earthly power, focusing instead on a weighty victory over sin and death through Christ's sacrifice, transcending the need for physical conquest. The New Testament delineates specific roles for the state, entrusting it with the responsibility of upholding justice and order. This includes the legitimate use of force to protect the innocent and enforce righteousness. However, the state's authority is not without limits. The Church is expected to monitor the state's actions, especially in military matters, ensuring they adhere to principles of righteousness and justice as understood through a Christian lens. Christians are encouraged to engage actively in state functions such as serving in law enforcement or the military and fulfilling civic responsibilities like tax payment. These actions are seen as supporting the state in its divine mandate to maintain justice. However, the New Testament also counsels a higher allegiance to God's commandments of love and righteousness particularly when state directives conflict with Christian conscience. This guidance is rooted in the actions and teachings of the apostles, as well as the prophetic tradition that prioritizes divine righteousness and justice over temporal authority. This dual commitment challenges Christians to navigate their role within the state while remaining steadfast in their primary allegiance to the teachings of Christ and the overarching principles of love and justice. Additionally, Waltke's discourse on the Church's spiritual warfare underscores a fundamental principle. The Church's engagement in conflict is not of a physical nature, but a spiritual one. He distinctly rejects the notion of militarization or physical aggression, advocating instead for a stance of suffering for righteousness, embodying the teachings of Jesus Christ, who preached turning the other cheek to one's oppressor. According to Waltke, the New Testament refrains from depicting the Church's mission as territorial or material conquest. Instead, it focuses on the spiritual submission to God's will, acknowledging the inherent worth of every individual as bearers of God's image. In stark contrast to worldly warfare, the Christian's battle is against spiritual adversaries, primarily Satan. This combat doesn't involve carnal weapons, but rather the full armor of God, a series of spiritual tools and virtues that provide both protection and the means to stand firm against evil forces. Waltke draws a vivid picture of this spiritual armor, correlating righteousness with a breastplate, salvation with a helmet, and zeal as a cloak. Additionally, he describes truth as a belt, faith as a shield, the gospel of peace as footwear, and the word of God as a sword. This imagery not only symbolizes protection and strength, but also emphasizes the active and defensive roles these spiritual elements play in a Christian's life. Moreover, Waltke accentuates that prayer is a crucial component of spiritual warfare, signifying constant communication and alignment with the Spirit. This battle, according to him, is not marked by uncertainty but by the assurance of victory. The outcome, he insists, is not in doubt, as Christ's triumph over Satan and death has already sealed the victory. In essence, Waltke portrays the Church's warfare as a call to embody spiritual truths and virtues standing firm in faith and righteousness against spiritual adversaries. Last but not least, Waltke presents a profound perspective on the Church's understanding of Christ's victory, positioning it as a cornerstone of Christian eschatology. This victory, initiated during Christ's earthly ministry, is not confined to the spiritual realm, but is destined to manifest in the physical world, transforming the temporal order. Waltke draws upon a rich tapestry of biblical references to underpin this belief, weaving together prophetic visions from both the Old and New Testaments with Christ's teachings and apostolic proclamations. Christ's ministry, marked by teachings of righteousness and peace, is seen as the inception of this transformative victory. The narrative progresses from the spiritual victories experienced by the early church, as depicted in the Gospels and Pauline epistles, to a future culmination point, a point where Christ returns in glory, as depicted in the prophetic literature. This return is not a mere symbolic event, but a cosmic regeneration, reshaping the earth and ushering in an era devoid of conflict, characterized instead by universal peace. Waltke affirms the alignment of this anticipated future with the prophetic traditions of the Old Testament, such as those in Micah and Malachi, and the visionary revelations in the New Testament, particularly in the Book of Revelation. These texts collectively speak of a time when God's kingdom is universally acknowledged and established marking the fulfillment of a divine plan that spans from the inception of Christ's ministry to an eschatological horizon. This vision serves not only as a future hope but also as a present impetus, driving the Church to embody the values of the coming Kingdom. The anticipation of Christ's final victory and the establishment of a universal peace under God's reign is a central theme that permeates Christian theology, offering both a promise of future restoration and a guiding principle for present action. In conclusion, Waltke offers a deep interpretation of the Exodus narrative, presenting it as a multifaceted demonstration of God's power and sovereignty. He views the liberation of Israel from Egyptian bondage as not just a historical event, but a pivotal moment in the divine narrative. For Waltke, this event signifies a transformative shift where the Israelites transition from subjugation under a mortal ruler to serving the supreme divine authority, I AM. The liberation, therefore, is both a physical emancipation and a spiritual reorientation, marking the establishment of a covenant relationship between God and His people. In addition, Waltke asserts the narrative's theological depth, analyzing it as a structured journey, comprising Israel's redemption from Egypt and their subsequent preservation in the wilderness. He highlights the plagues, especially the Passover, as a serious symbol of divine deliverance and the establishment of a covenant marked by divine protection and guidance. The journey through the wilderness is portrayed as a period of testing and spiritual development, with God acting as a constant guide and protector. Further, Waltke explores the broader implications of the Exodus story, linking it to the Church's spiritual journey and the evolution of God's character throughout the biblical narrative. He interprets the transition from a creator to a warrior during the Exodus and explores the changing dynamics of divine warfare indicating the shift from physical combat to spiritual battles in the New Testament. In summary, Waltke's interpretation of Exodus elevates the narrative from a mere historical account to a rich theological discourse. It reflects on the nature of divine power, the process of spiritual liberation, and the establishment of God's kingdom, offering deep insights into the complex relationship between the divine and humanity.